You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Well, good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? So good to see you. I want to greet all of you watching online. Thanks for joining in. If I don't have the chance yet to know you, my name is Will Davis Jr. Welcome to Austin Christian Fellowship. Can we thank our worship team and Bill Walkerfuller and the whole, man, just... And um, if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? We have volunteers coming down the aisles right now uh, that will give you one. You guys at home, take a minute to find yours. Uh, please, we love giving these away. Take one. And when you came in, you hopefully received a little bookmark. Uh, we're asking you to start turning to Scripture. Um, I'm not showing you. I'm showing you the addresses only. I'm not actually showing you the verse. I've gone to mean pastor mode um, so I was talking to one of our camp fund leaders this morning, and she said, why did you do that? Why did you quit showing passages? And I was like, well, I want the people, I said, if they have a car wreck, the verse that they need at that moment is not going to suddenly appear in the heavens and say, you need to be able to pull it up. She said, well, I want you to know we've been doing that camp fund all along. <laughs> so I'm just trying to keep, we're just trying to keep up with our children, basically, is the point of that story. So... She made it very clear they've never given the kids the verses and make them find them. So this is, if I say turn to first, I'm going to say turn to 2 Timothy and 2 Peter in a minute, and you can find out where they are. If you don't know them, there they are. And so don't be, this is what this is for. There's also great resources in the back, and we'll keep these available to you in the future. Um, so glad you're here. So two weeks from today, as Bill Rockefeller just mentioned, we're baptizing. Yep. It's so good to mention baptism in church and have people cheer. Um, we'll dedicate both services just to baptizing. And baptism is the, the sign, the universal sign of surrender to Jesus. It is what every Christ follower from generations has done. And it's an immediate post-Jesus act of obedience. You heard Bill say when he got baptized, his awareness of Scripture went up. And then interesting, there's an... There's an obedience factor that God honors. So if you're baptized as an infant, that's a beautiful thing, but that's not what the Bible describes since we're talking about the Bible. And so uh, you can go online and sign up and we'll have uh, amazing, we'll also have spontaneous, we always do spontaneous baptisms just in case those are rowdy. When the people come out and say, in my clothes, I need to get baptized like right now. You never know. So go online, sign up, invite your small groups, invite your friends. Let's get ahead of this. It'll be a big day for our church. It's kind of payday around here, and I um, hope you'll take part of that. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Peter 1. I want you to find those. I'm going to read those to you here in just a second. We are in the series, The Bible Canceled, because there's definitely, there always has been, it's not new, but there's definitely pushback again today about this book. And my end game, you guys, is, well, there's not a need in this room that this book can't speak to. Amen. With authority. Authority is an important word. Name the need. Relational, spiritual, physical, financial, Emotional, decision-making, guidance, conflict, fear, despair, oppression, depression. It's all here. 
in remedy form. So the, the point of our series is to continue to raise the value, especially when there's so much being promoted in culture as normal and good and healthy that this book says is not normal, is not good, and is not healthy. And we gotta kinda figure out where we're gonna, who's gonna call the shots for us. And I think you know as a church, our jury is not out on that, it's in. But I'm trying to help you figure out Next week's topic is the need for a moral backstop. When you're being tempted, when you're being pushed to make gray area decisions, who, who tells you where right or wrong is? Because in our culture, right or wrong is a moving target. Well, is it? Or is there some, are there just some things that are right and some things that are wrong? And, and if there are rights and wrongs, who decided that? So that's, that's why we, we talk about this. But I want to get it street level for you. There's not a problem in the room. There's not a problem online that this book can't speak to with authority. Transformationally. And so I'm, I'm big these next several weeks on let's, let's become people of this word. That's why I want you to bring your copy. I want you to have a copy and bring your copy and use it here and have notes in it. And, and if you want to use a smartphone, that's your call. But the, something that you can refer to when you're not here and I'm not there and you've got to pull up a scripture to give you strength in the moment, you need to know how to do that. It's such a great resource. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for this time. I ask that you anoint me and that you anoint this moment and let us be really people of the word. And I pray that today as we talk about how we got the Bible and how it came to be, that it will be really informative and helpful and anointed. Please pray your blessings on churches all over the city, on our leaders, those who seek you right now, our, our leaders in Washington and our leaders here locally, and your favor and blessing and protection on them. Please. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, two verses to kind of set the tone. And again, feel free to take photos of the screen. Feel free to take notes. I'm going to give you some stuff that you may not know today. And there's, I always want to encourage additional reading. So feel free to dig into what I'm going to say and study it on your own. But Second Timothy, the third chapter Verse 16 says, all scripture is inspired. I told you last week the word inspired means God breathed. God breathed. All scripture is God breathed or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you're going to train to be righteous, what are you going to use? Verse 17, so that the man or woman, I will add, of God may be adequate Equipped for every good work. So Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that this, the scriptures are inspired, they're breathed by God, and quite helpful in the matters of training in righteousness and being equipped for every good work. So you want to be a noble person, you want to live a good life, you want to be honorable and God-honored, honoring and avoid temptation, scriptures are really helpful for that. Then you roll over a couple of pages to the right, 2 Peter Yes, that's uh, the Peter who followed Jesus. 
Second Peter, the first chapter, verse 20 says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. I think I'll just say this and call it prophecy is what that means. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's the word, the word moved is the word born along. It's, they were, it's like a sailing term. They were moved along like a sailboat on a lake. Inspired by the Spirit of God. So there's two kind of lofty claims, if you will. That Scripture has the weight of God behind it. That it's not just what men and women think is good. It's that men and women have spoken and written under the authority of God and the leadership of God. And so what, what, I, what I'm trying to do in this series is help you understand the miracle that you hold in your hands. It, this is a miracle. And I really think today will help build the case for God's crazy we have these to the degree that we do. So, okay, all scriptures inspired. Well, who says what scripture? Because a scripture to a Muslim is different than scripture to a Christian. Scripture to a Mormon is broader than just the Bible. Scripture to a Hindu is more books than we can count. So, who made the call? <laughs> where was the smoke-filled room where... Christians got the monopoly on Scripture? Great question. Glad you asked. So the word Scripture is the word graphe. Now, why do I give you Greek words? It's not to let you know that I know Greek. It's because every Bible you read is a translation. And that one of the things we'll do in the coming weeks is talk about the translational process and how we know the accuracy of this, because one of the objections you get to the Bible is, well, it's been translated so many times, nobody really knows what it says. That's just not true. In fact, that's emphatically false, and I can't wait to talk to you about it in February. It's amazing how accurate the translations of Scripture are. The word Scripture in the Greek just means a writing. Graphe, you can think of our word graph is part of the English etymology, it goes back to graphe, our word graph to be written, to be recorded, to be pressed into something. That's what it means. If you go to Webster, the first definition of Scripture is the books of the Bible. Then secondly, a passage of the Bible. I read Scripture today in 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. That's Scripture. Section of the Bible could be called Scripture. And then she, Webster concludes by saying it's just a collection of writings considered sacred or authoritative. Well, what makes them sacred and what makes them authoritative? So I really want you to, if, because friends, if the Bible really is sacred and really is authoritative, oops. Like, uh-oh. If the Bible really is the, the last word on God and culture and what he expects of us, and if you hold this up and then look at us, like there's a scale, it's, it's like, uh-oh. So if this, if this really is sacred and authoritative, then whoa, we got some work to do. 
I hear Ricky telling Lucy, we got some splaining to do. So I introduced you last week, and I hope you'll go back and listen if you were not here, to several terms. One is the term inspiration, which is the accurate recording of what God has revealed to humans. God has made himself known, the Bible teaches, through nature, through the nation of Israel, and through the person of Jesus. It goes from broad to very special, very specific. And inspiration is when God moved on people throughout history to accurately record the revelation of God. The Old Testament is primarily the revelation of God recorded through the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham. It's definitely nature, Genesis, but mostly it's Abraham and the nation of Israel and their adventures. The Old Testament ends with the anticipation of Jesus. He's prophesied in the Old Testament. The second word I gave you, another word I gave you is the word authority. which basically is the claim that God's word is the final say on matters in which it asserts itself. Like, how do you know God? How do you find the way of salvation? What are the, who, who do you forgive and when? What's morally right and what's morally wrong? How do you make good decisions? The Bible claims to be the final authority, not one of many, but it's like it trumps everything else. You need to check what I say out in light of the Bible because I'm not the final authority. The Bible is the final authority. That's what, because it's, because it's the, the inspired word of God, it has authority. That's the claim. Well, if the Bible, if we're going to believe that, then we have to look for evidences of that. It's not like it should read the same as a John Grisham novel. It ought to read differently. It ought to tell a different story. So what I want to do with a minute, for a minute with you guys is walk through some of the evidences that this book you have in your hand, not, not just the originals, but the one you have in your hand, really does bear the marks of inspiration and authority. I think you'll find this fascinating and helpful. Okay? There's the wind on cue. I'll take that. So first is, and this is the only time I'll argue from inside the Bible because I'm arguing about the Bible and somebody's going to accuse me of circular reasoning, so I'm not going to do that. But just want to make sure you understand that the biblical writers in Jesus himself claimed the Bible, Scripture, was authoritative. And the Scripture Jesus talked about was obviously the Old Testament. We'll see next week when Jesus was tempted, he went to Scripture the book of Deuteronomy specifically, to defend off, to fend away the enemy, Satan, in his temptations. Peter called Paul's writings scripture. So there's this, this body of documents floating around, most of them in Jesus' day, Old Testament, but after Jesus, the Gospels, and then the, the, uh, those, biblical, those writings written by those who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection or eyewitnesses to him. You'll see the criteria in a minute. They all witnessed and they all said, look, this, this, there's something, there is a document that says enough. So I just want you to be aware that the Bible claims to be the authoritative word of God. All scripture is inspired and is profitable for teaching and correcting and training so you can be equipped to do every good work. But outside of that, there's all kinds of internal and external evidence that makes this thing quite exciting to think about. And one is fulfilled prophecy. 
which I'm not, a prof, I'm not a guy who spends a lot of time studying fulfilled prophecy, but it's fascinating. And it's, 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 it's really crazy. If you look at the, even the life of Jesus, some people argue, depends on how you count them, from 60 to 300 prophecies about Jesus before he was born in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that Jesus fulfilled. From being born in Bethlehem to riding in, in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey to Psalm 22 graphically describing the crucifixion of Jesus and the gambling of his garments and the way he hung on the cross and how his, he was, his limbs were dislocated but not broken a thousand years before the execution of Jesus and several hundred years before crucifixion was invented. The cast lots from my clothing, Psalm 22 says. Isaiah 53, portraying the sufferings of Jesus. Isaiah 45, naming Cyrus a Persian leader who would come 150 years later, who would be the one to restore the Israelites back to Jerusalem after they'd been taken captive. By name, Cyrus. Daniel prophesying the rising of the Roman Empire and the fall of the Roman Empire hundreds of years before Rome came to power. I mean, if you, if you want to go into to looking at what would make this thing inspired and authoritative, if you look, start looking at the, the, the predictions of the Old Testament and the fulfillments in the old or the new, it's fascinating and so encouraging and a little haunting. Like, wow, something's going on here. So many spoken words that were fulfilled by the power of God's word. Third is scriptural unity. I love this one. So any guesses on how many biblical writers there are? This is rhetorical. Please don't answer because you will. Let's go with about 40. Over about a 1,500-year period. So the oldest book in the Old Testament is probably the book of Job. Isn't it interesting that the oldest book, the first book in the Bible, not, not orderly, but the first book probably written, was Job. What's the biggest question in Job? Why do people suffer? So the oldest question in history is suffering. Well, there you go. Job to Revelation covers about 1,500 years. So the, the, just the writing of the Bible, the the, the Creation, the creation of the text, the 31,000 script verses we have in our Bible took about a millennia and a half just to be written by about 40 different writers of all types of literary and uh, academic background or lack thereof from fishermen in the New Testament to shepherds in the Old Testament to kings in the Old Testament to prophets in the Old Testament, priests in the Old Testament from... Um, three different continents in three different languages. So it's not like there was, there was this room, people, people really believe this, there's some smoke-filled room where they said, okay, here's a Bible, we're gonna spit it out. No, 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 no. And we can, this is proven. By the way, in February, first two weeks of February, I'm doing objections to the Bible, and we're gonna talk a lot about, well, what about, well, what about, well, stay tuned. I'm gonna answer those questions for you. So you've got 40 different writers over 1,500 years multiple languages, some of them not knowing each other, with this amazing thread of unity of a story that was like it was written by one, not 40. Well, the one's the Holy Spirit. Men and women of God, as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. So there's a writer 
a writer behind the Bible, he's just choosing to use humans. There is one writer, and he, and he doesn't exist in time, so 1,500 years to him is like a day. Now, compare that to, say, the Quran, which was written maybe over about a 21-year period by the prophet Muhammad about 610 A.D., when he says an angel appeared to him and said, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna give you some things to read and write, you need to write them down. And the result of that is the Quran. The bulk of the Quran was written about 610 AD by one man. Now, Muslims will tell you that tradition has it that when Muhammad died, he, he continued to receive revelations until about 631, so 610 was when it began. He died in 631, so about a 21-year period to get the complete compilation of what is known as the Quran. But just for comparison's sake, 1,500 years, 40 writers, three continents, three languages, versus one man over a 21-year period. That's, that's quite the difference. Then you take, say, the Book of Mormon which was written basically in a month in March of 1830 by a guy named Joseph Smith in the Americas who claimed that an angel appeared to him and gave him a recipe to find golden tablets that were written in a language which has yet to be proven that it even existed. And then he gave us the Book of Mormon which parallels the Bible in Mormon's thinking, it doesn't. And Pearl of Great Price and Doctrine and Covenant, and there's one more. There's three, there's four books, more. I'm freaking the fourth. That all came from this angel, angel Moroni who appeared to Mormons, Joseph Smith, and gave him the recipe to translate this Egyptian code, which doesn't exist in history. So to say that, in, if you let, and the Mormon answer is you have to have the eye of faith when you read the Book of Mormon. Well, what the Bible will tell you is that history doesn't happen in a vacuum. So when you start looking at things like archaeology and textual study, the great thing about the New Testament, and in fact the Old Testament, is there are museums and libraries all over the world who contain these ancient documents of the Bible. It doesn't exist for the Book of Mormon. Literally, it went poof. So I just want to, those are two other leading religious texts on the planet. I just, want to con I just want to contrast to you. You decide what you think has more authority in it, not to mention fulfilled prophecy, etc. One man, 21 years. One man, a month, with no historical evidence whatsoever behind it. Or this millennia and a half process just to write the Bible. We didn't even talk about the compilation yet. It's pretty fascinating. And, it, and it's unified. It says it's got a theme to it. That, to me, I'm not perhaps the most objective source in the world, but that to me starts smelling like something's going on. Let's add in archaeology. Now, the thing about archaeology is it never gets any news because it's boring unless you're Indiana Jones. Let's go dig in the sand and write articles about it and expect people to read them. And also, you don't hear about archaeology because there's nothing in there that damning the Bible. All the evidence for archaeology supports it. There's the wind again. 
Remember in the Indiana Jones scene where they're talking about the, the um, Ark of the Covenant and the wind starts blowing inside the room, the candle starts flicking. That's kind of how I feel right now. Ooh, ah, dun dun dun. dun. From, for years, the scriptures have been mocked because they mentioned the Hittites, which there was no record of the Hittites. By the way, this all happened 3,500 years ago. It's buried under sand. So Old Testament archaeology happens at a slow pace. They discovered records to the Hittites. The Amorites, the Hittites, all those ites of the Old Testament you don't like to pronounce. Well, the Hittites have been proven. They existed. The Pool of, the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus healed the man uh, who'd been sick for 38 years, has been dug up and discovered and is now open to, for public to view. It's there, right outside where it's supposed to be in the temple in Jerusalem. Sodom has been discovered right where it's supposed to be. There's an inscription to Baruch, a very minor Old Testament figure who was a scribe of Jeremiah who wrote down the book of Jeremiah and the king took Baruch's writings and cut them up and threw them in the fire because he didn't like what he was hearing. There's an inscription to Baruch outside of scripture that proves he existed. And there's, of course, references now to the house of David because there's not any historical evidence of David because, again, all this happened so long ago when nobody's really keeping very good records. But I don't want you to take my word for that. If you start reading about biblical archaeology, and again, they'll tell you there's not been anything that finds, especially to date, that has done anything but build the case for the accuracy of Scripture. Now, again, the Book of Mormon teaches that Jesus, after his resurrection, came to the Americas and visited a group of people in the Americas. And the Smithsonian, which has no dog in that fight, has said, those people never existed. So I think it, it's interesting to look at credibility of like, okay, history doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are kings and there are records and there are cultures and there's stuff in the ground that verifies all this. And the Bible, again, the archeological evidence behind it is stunning. The, the times and places and cities mentioned, really, you can go to Jericho and see where Jericho was. They can show you where the walls were. I mean, it's there. Versus other books, which you have to kind of use your imagination a bit to fill in the blanks. That's saying it nicely. How about the timeless moral code? The, the fact that murder is pretty much still wrong. And that when a culture begins to shift on murder or adultery or stealing or covetousness is because their culture is inflicted with a disease, it's not because the moral code has changed, because history bears out when cultures begin to shift on things like murder and adultery and stealing, they don't fare well. But there is this, there is this timeless call to holiness in the Bible which tends to serve people best when they try to live that way. Versus rel moral relativity which says, I define you, my truth, you define yours, and the result is chaos. The financial teachings of Scripture, the, the call to, to rest every seven days, the call to, to be generous first, all those things make perfect sense in life, and non-Christian organizations who have set to study them have just bared out the, the law, the legal code, and the moral code of Scripture. It makes perfect sense. Are there hard parts of the Bible? Yeah. 
And I'll address those in the February series. Are there places where you're like, God looks mean and cruel? Yeah, there are. They're there. The Bible does not try to build a case for a God you're going to like, necessarily. Because he doesn't exist on our plane. His ways are not our ways. So we'll address some of the hardness of Scripture, some things that are hard for us in the coming months, in the coming weeks. Final one is its ability to expose the heart. I'm gonna do this quickly because I gotta get going here. This is a book I started reading in high school. It's the Bible. It's a tiny little King James Bible. The font is, I think, listed as negative six on the scale. <laughs> but I would stay home as a 17-year-old on weekends and read this book, and, and here are the places where I marked in it as a 17-year-old. And I had been really rebellious, out of control from like 13, 14, 15, 16, got ambushed at age 17 and started, started picking this book up and reading it. An old King James Bible, I don't know where I got it. And I found in here something I'd never seen before. It, it read me my heart. And I've been reading it ever since. I read it this morning. It's changed me. It'll change you. Okay, so who decided? I gotta do this quickly. And again, this is all available for you to research. And if you'll email me, I'll send you my notes. And senior pastor, AC Phil, I'll send you my notes of stuff you can dive off in. So I told you it took just 1,500 years for the Bible to be written. So AD 90 is when Revelation was probably written, give or take. We didn't have a closed, decided Bible until 300 years after that. So you gotta add in another 300 years from the close of Revelation to really get to where Christians are able to say, these are the 27 books and the 39 books that make up the 66 called the Old Testament. It wasn't until two councils, there were actually three, but the two final ones, Council of Hippo in North Africa in 393 and the Council of Carthage in 397 where church leaders got together and said, we think these represent the final canon, where canon means standard, C-A-N-O-N, canon means standard, law. Final rule of scripture are these books. But 100 years, bef 100 years before that, 23 of the 27 New Testament books had pretty much been settled on, and they said, who? People say, well, who? And it was like, you and me did, you and I did. Ordinary Christians began to, all these books were floating around, and there were books that bear the evidence of apostolic authority. They were from Paul, or they were from Peter, or they were from John, and there were books that didn't. And so 100 years before the councils, there were a couple of late editions like James because his emphasis on works, and Second Peter because it's a question of authorship, and Hebrews because it was just like crazy, that eventually they agreed these books bear the mark of apostleship, even though we didn't know who wrote Hebrews, so that's what made it delayed and they landed on 27 books. But it was about 200 years after Christ that those 27, with one or two exceptions, had been landed on. And again, it was the churches saying, this is an authoritative book, this is an authoritative book. It was people like you and me. It wasn't some smoke-filled room where a pope or somebody said, these are the books. Now, some of you will know that the Catholics read an, an Old Testament that has seven books that the 
Christian, Protestant New Testament, I shouldn't say Christian, Protestant Old Testament does not have. There is no disagreement in Catholics and Protestants on the New Testament. We agree on the 27. But there was a translation of the Greek New Testament called the Septuagint. I'm giving you more than you want to know here, but look it up. You want to, I'm giving you facts and knowledge helps. Septuagint was a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament because most Jews didn't read Hebrew. They, wrote, they read Greek in Jesus' day. Septuagint means 70, the 70. 70 scholars translated it, so it's called the 70. And there was another translation called the Latin Vulgate. Our word vulgar comes from this. It just means common. Vulgar speech is common speech. Isn't that interesting? The Vulgate was the Old Testament in Latin. Jerome, who translated the Vulgate for us, great church father, included some second century A.D. books that were floating around in the Vulgate. They weren't, they weren't part of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered um, in 1948, which had the oldest existing copy of the Old Testament. They weren't, they weren't in any way part of the recognized Old Testament that the Jews considered authoritative, the 39 books. But they were around and they had a lot to say. So Jerome translated them and over the centuries they got grafted in as part of the Old Testament for the Catholic Church. But the, he, the nation of Israel never deemed those seven books as authoritative because they were written late. They agreed that Malachi was the last book written. So that's the difference between the Catholic Old Testament. It's called the Apocrypha, seven books that are not included in the, New, in the Old Testament of the Christians, the Protestants. But like I said, we all agree on the New Testament. So really it was a translation, translational issue, not a theological issue that gave us the extra seven books that are in the Catholic Bible. Now saying all that, friends, I'm gonna wrap this up. It's still a matter of faith. I mean, I don't think there's a better documented book in the planet than the Bible. And I'll tell you more about that in February. If you want to make a case just for the weight, again, go to museums, go to libraries all over the planet. And you'll, form, you'll find more existing extant copies of the New Testament than any book on the planet, no matter how old it is. And they all say within 99, about 98, 99% accuracy, and I'll show you this in February, the same thing. So this, there's discrepancies and there's too much confusion. It's a bunch of bunk. It's just people who don't want to believe the Bible, making that stuff up. You put, a, you put a test to this for authority and for accuracy and for legitimacy and for weight of the decades and the centuries and the millennia, it's there, friends. But you still have to come to the conclusion that it's the word of God. And the way I did is I started reading it. <laughs> Oops. That was my mistake. I started reading it as a waddy-headed 17-year-old, and it ambushed me. In King James, it ambushed me. Think what I'd be today if I had the New American Standard back when I was 17 years old. So you have to, at some point, read it and come to the conclusion that the word of God, Hebrews 4 says, is living and active and is sharper than any two-edged sword and will cut you to your core like a surgeon's knife if you'll just give it a shot. So my ask is that we become people of the word. 
that this book you hold in your hand, be it a phone copy or a physical copy, has all you need to settle the questions of life, to make moral decisions and difficult decisions, and to say yes and no, and to know what is true and what is not true, because there's a lot of stuff out there that's just said that's true. And friends, there's, there's wisdom. If you read the book of Proverbs, wisdom hasn't changed. Again, cultures that say they're evolving and move away from this are doing this. If your behavior isn't making you more sophisticated and less like an animal, there's something wrong with what you're believing. And that's cultures that move away from what the t- scriptures teach and become more animalistic, which is what we're doing. Anything goes. They're not becoming greater. They're becoming more base. And they typically self-destruct. So does the life that rejects this. It typically self-destructs. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to commit to being a person of the word. This has been cursory. There's so much more I could have shared with you. But the evidence is there with a lot of history behind it that there's not a book on the planet like this one. And we're so blessed to have it. You know, think about how blessed we are to have this book. Will you please get to know it? Will you please know the pages of scripture better than you know the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or People or whatever it is you read, Glamour? Please. Will you please know the pages of scripture better than you know the latest TikTok fad or saying or the latest Instagram fads or the latest Facebook or all the junk that's out there, friends, which most of it, may I be candid, is demonic. Are you gonna let demons tell you who you are or are you gonna let the word of God tell you who you are? One's gonna tear you down and say, like we said last week, you are a joke. And one's gonna build you up and say you're in the image of God. Oh, by the way, act like it. You decide. But the life that chooses to reject the wisdom of scripture is a life that's on its way to trouble. And I am abhorring you, calling you, pleading with you, men and women online, to become people of the word. You have to work at it. People say Christians are stupid because they believe the Bible. Name me one person who ever quit reading the Bible because it was too easy to understand. It's, it's a challenging book. There's history in it. There's backdrops, culture in it. You have to work to filter through what's there and, and, get, and dig up the eternal truth that's in Scripture. It, it's worth the effort. It's the Word of God. It's worth the effort. So get to, get to the effort, friends, because life without it, to say it's lacking, is the understatement of the millennia. Okay, there's my soapbox. Next week, why do you need a moral backstop And why is the Bible the best one available? Let's pray. And I'm invite the prayer leaders to come up, if you would, while I pray. There's the wind again. Lord, thank you for this time. These people have listened so well. 
We thank you for this holy scriptures and pray that, they'll, that we'll humble ourselves before your word and realize what you've done in, in history to give us such a great book, to library filled with wisdom just for us. I pray we'd, we'd turn off the voices that are so absolutely foolish in culture and build our self-esteem and our, our understanding of what's right and wrong from what your word has said and the timeless truths behind it and not the um, grotesque convulsions of a culture that's dying and yet calls it what they say truth, Lord. Thank you, for this. Thank you for giving us the gift of Scripture. We love you so much. Make us people of your word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. You guys online, we love you. We'd love to see you here. Come join us.